0: and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of The Chronicle's of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. We're going to be looking ahead to Sunday's big game. The Gunners travel to Stamford Bridge to take on Graham Potter's Chelsea. Can Arsenal continue their fine form at the bridge of Lay, Or will they be stopped in their tracks? We're going to get into all of that on this show. And joining me to break it all down is the brilliant Dan Child of Football.London. And the Son of Chelsea podcast, which is also part of the 90 Min Football Network. So welcome uh, aboard, first of all, Dan. How are you, my friend?
1: Yeah, great to have that uh, all sorted this week. Great to be part of 90 Min uh, Podcast Network now. And uh, yeah, great to be on. It's uh, it's obviously always a big game, Chelsea-Arsenal. So uh, great to speak about it. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, Dutchwood, Chelsea will, will turn up on
0: Sunday. Hopefully they don't. But yeah, that, that's it. That's it. We'll leave that for another day. Um, look, we, we've got you here and, and we want kind of the lowdown on Chelsea, right? Because there's been a lot of changes at Chelsea and new managers come in. I think people looking from the outside in probably are kind of struggling to make sense of exactly what Chelsea's identity is right now. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that Graham Potter is very much in the exploration stages, but Uh, It'll be interesting to kind of hear your take on where Chelsea are at, what we should be worried about, what we should be looking out for at the weekend. But before we do that, Dan, I want to get your opinion on Arsenal, because I'm always interested to see how the job that Mikel Arteta is currently doing is perceived by fans of other clubs, because we can sometimes get stuck in the bubble of our own clubs and we can have tunnel vision and we can see things in a very kind of, specific way without always understanding maybe how they might be taken in the wider world. So first up, what have you made of Arsenal so far this season? How do you think Mikel Arteta is doing? And, and when people say Arsenal are back, do you buy into that?
1: It's obviously been a, a really impressive start to the season. Uh, there, there's no denying that. Um, I think I said in the, the chat we had for for my preview on, on the channel, on my channel, uh, about sort of watching Arsenal firsthand very close up uh, in Orlando over the summer and it it seemed like the team was really gelling back then they obviously won convincingly against Chelsea and that's followed on into the season Uh, it seems like the stability with Mikel Arteta and kind of his ability to mold the squad in his image has has really given him a lot of power um, around that club and it seems like so many things have sort of just clicked together quite instantly you know it's it's Sometimes it's only a, a few things like um, and Jesus coming in has obviously lifted the the team. I think the positioning of certain players has has as well benefited. You know, players like Granite Jacker I think is is probably one I'd mention. Um, it's yeah, it's been obviously very impressive, and and it does make this Sunday's game quite daunting for Chelsea. I don't know if Chelsea are ready for this test because um, I think that the Arsenal as a team have been so impressive. They've been so fluid. Um, I think players like Granit Xhaka is one that really stands out to me because, all right, it's easy to look at Jesus and say he's obviously been so fluid this year and and so impressive. Um, And Martinelli too. But is someone who I've sort of been critical of in the past and doubtful of in the past. Um, But to see how he's evolved and come back from those setbacks, it it kind of speaks to Arteta's coaching and the mentality and kind of the, the positive environment that's clearly there so there's obviously a lot of positive things tactically the environment the feeling of that club is a lot more positive than it was and there's kind of a fearlessness about arsenal at the moment um, even in games like against liverpool where they were kind of rocked a little bit they still came back and won so that's that is something to to be wary of ahead of sunday
0: so i mean you mentioned a few players there what what, what is it that you see in this arsenal side that makes you wary of them going into the weekend. If, if you were Chelsea boss, if you were in mm. the dressing room ahead of this one, what would kind of be your key messages to the Chelsea players in order to try and stifle an Arsenal side who, as you say, have been much more free flowing, much more dangerous, but have at times in recent weeks just dropped off a little bit yeah. in, in certain periods of matches as well.
1: This could going to feel like a really obscure reference. I've been playing uh, the new modern warfare and obviously there are sort of references to like military of SAS, you know, speed, aggression, surprise. And I feel like that's something that Arsenal have, um, particularly when I look at Arsenal and if I'm trying to counteract them, um, I think it's a daunting task for Chelsea without Rhys James. That's, you know, Wesley Fofana, particularly on the right side. I'm mainly looking on the left because uh, I just think Martinelli has been just such a threat consistently. Um, the way he's so... Fearless on the ball and just has quite clearly no respect for the opposing fullback. Um, you know, Chelsea, we've had players like that, like Christian Pulisic, but have got injured and kind of we haven't had many of those players, and it just looks like Martinelli at the moment is kind of representative of of a lot of Arsenal's great traits, is that they're just going for teams. There's no sort of hesitation there, and, and things are clicking and um, it's also the way Granit Xhaka moves up from central midfield to kind of add an extra attacker in the final third. You know, Arsenal are quite good at overloading teams at the moment, uh, particularly in wide areas. And obviously, those central midfielders in that 4 really does help that at times uh, when they're trying to build up around, say, a back five or back four, whatever it is. Um, and as well, Gabriel Jesus, um, just the way he takes the ball. Um, in tight areas the way, despite not having the biggest physique, he's able to muscle his way around tight areas. Um, It makes it really tricky, I think, for teams because you want to go at that back four because Arsenal play a higher line and they really do try and suffocate teams uh, and really do try and take the game to the opposition. Um, But at the same point, you have to be wary of their speed in transition and as well their quality on the ball. And we've even seen in recent weeks the likes of Thomas Partey getting involved with, with certain goals. So even if you do sit back like Spurs tried to, there is quality from distance to shoot as well. So it, it's a it's a difficult balancing act, absolutely. Um, but as you mentioned there, the waves of attack is something that it's it's it can go both ways, right? I think Chelsea could be overwhelmed as they were against Man United, uh, particularly in central midfield. I'm worried Chelsea could be outnumbered. Arsenal were very good at that, particularly in central areas. Um but on the other side of that, I think that for me, it's it's if those f- phases of play where Arsenal are really pushing a team back, if their fatigue grows as the game goes on, can Chelsea then exploit that if we get through those periods without conceding? Because I think Southampton survived that period very well where Arsenal could have scored two or three goals and I thought this game going to be over. That did not happen. Arsenal only scored one. And then the second half happened and Southampton grew in confidence. I think Leeds probably benefited from the same thing. I think yeah. that's maybe what Potter will be looking at. and Most opposition coaches will be looking at with, with Arsenal is is trying to get through those bursts of, of speed and pace and then trying to see if you can get yourself sort of into the game a bit
0: more and exploit that. Talk to us a little bit about where Chelsea are at currently. Graham Potter in charge. Lots of chopping and changing in terms of his team selections, mm-hmm. his formation. Um, do you feel that we're, or, or do you feel that you guys are moving in the right direction And what's been your kind of early takeaways from the early Potter days?
1: Obviously, recently it hasn't been great in the past couple of weeks. Uh, the defeat to Brighton was obviously very humbling. Um, I do think that's just the receipt from the footballing gods, to be fair, because we kind of took their coach, uh, their sort of backroom staff, and, and trying to head of Receive recruitment from the footballing yeah. gods. I like that. I, it's, it's kind of just like karma, right? You just had to sort of shrug your shoulders and go, "Whatever, man, we'll, we'll take that." Um, and it was just such a bad day, two own goals as well. So it's. I think he's done as as well as he could I think in the situation it's not just the squad and the tactics and the formation that kind of this is the thing I think you speak about a lot with in in relation to Arteta it's kind of those cultural things that maybe outside fans you know rival fans don't quite appreciate it's the environment he walked into which is an exhausted environment I think Chelsea fans have had to do with a lot in 2022 um as a year not just this season um you know the the announcement from Abraham rich at the start of the year that he was going to sell the club, the sanctions, which threw the club into a bit of peril for a while, the whole ownership sort of takeover process that was very tiring and yeah. very fast, but it, you know took a lot out of people. You know, trying to try gauge when that was going to happen with the ticking sort of clock of those sanctions as well, um a, a mental summer in a lot of ways um so much upheaval behind the scenes and new players coming in and then of course you have a change of head coach at the start of the year the the last one is probably the most normal for Chelsea fans to experience but you have any one of those things in a year it's going to take its toll have all of that you know not even in 12 months and I think Potter walked into an environment that is quite sort of exhausted and maybe just a load of frustration boiling up so he's maybe struggled where Thomas Tuchel benefited with the, you know, Tuchel had the lack of fans when he arrived at Chelsea. So he was just able to get to the sort of the tactical side of the game very quickly. And I think that helped him. Potter maybe hasn't had that. And he's had a very demanding schedule like a lot of teams have. Um, But I feel Chelsea have improved in sort of our creativity. I think final third was a big problem under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, We played in kind of fine margins where we didn't create a lot of high quality opportunities, which kind of put stress on those attackers to finish those chances. If you look at the XG so far under Graham Potter, I think in most games it has at least been over one. I think in the first few, they were over two as well um, in certain games. So Chelsea are creating a higher volume of chances now. Um, They're not taking all of them, which is a problem. Um, or taking a majority of them, we probably should be scoring more goals still. But at least there's that, there's been that improvement. Um, I think he's been a bit more daring than Tuchel was when he arrived uh, with some of the experimentation of, of the squad. I mean, as an Arsenal fan coming into this, not knowing what Chelsea are going to line up with, I mean, trust me, I covered a channel I write about the the club on a daily basis, basically. Um, it's hard to know game to game at the moment, what the formation is going to be, what the, the personnel is going to be. Um, and that, obviously makes it a little bit interesting and, and I know that there will be critics looking at and going why can't you just stick to one formation but this is kind of the way Potter has been in his career particularly at Brighton he if you speak to Brighton fans this is what he did there and he you know obviously improved them over time so I it, it's such a small sample size unfortunately at Chelsea and at a club like Chelsea where the demands are so high and the expectation it has been constant sort of silverware and success over the past 20 years I think fans are sort of readjusting to a lot at the moment, not just Graham Potter. And unfortunately, maybe he's suffered with the collateral damage of that, if that sort of answer made any sense, because it has been a a really um, challenging year, I think.
0: Is there a tiny part of you that worries that Graham Potter, as good a coach as he is, hasn't really been in this type of environment before Mm. at a club where there is incredible demand and expectation based on all that Chelsea have achieved over the last couple of decades? is there a part of you that worries that this might not work? Is there a part of you that thinks it's a good appointment in theory, but could Mm. it could be one that still doesn't necessarily have the desired effect and, and could be one that doesn't ultimately work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, when he got appointed, I think the big challenge for Potter is, is a cultural sort of expectation one rather than a tactical one. I, I, I have a lot of confidence that tactically he can work at Chelsea. I think he has the methods that you need in a modern game. I think he's a he's a coach that wants his team to press high. He, he's a coach that I think understands that you need a bigger squad, so you need to be flexible and you need to change your team every now and then because there are so many games now. Um, and he obviously wants possession. You know, He wants to be on the front foot, I think, most of the time, which I think, as we know in the Premier League, counterattacking teams don't survive as much as they used to. Um, you need to have that progressive side to you, which unfortunately took all, I think the first part when he got the defence right, worked brilliantly for Chelsea in the Champions League, but then couldn't really move it forward. Hopefully Potter can. It's, it's that thing of, it's it's an experiment because you've taken someone who did some great work at Osseson's, did some interesting work at Swansea, you know, obviously improved Brighton but it's that scrutiny and expectation. Like Potter was asked about, uh, he, the word crisis was brought up in his press conference before Zagreb and he sort of laughed it off. Um, and it's not that people were seriously saying that about him. It's just that Chelsea, the scrutiny and expectation, and, and I'm sure it's to a similar extent at Arsenal, is just so, it's the heat goes up to another level. It really does. And he is dealing, as i said in my previous answer, about an environment where Chelsea have just been ridiculously successful where they've become almost a victim of their own success because fans are just conditioned. If you're of a certain generation, you are conditioned to expect Chelsea to at least win a piece of silverware every season, because I don't think under Abramovich we went two years about winning at least something, uh, which is just insane. It's just, you know, and, and unfortunately he has walked into an environment where I think he needs more time. Time will, t- we've had many discussions on 90 minute about Bowley, right? Time will tell. How this new ownership deals with a head coach they've handed him a five-year deal which is financially put them into a commitment with him effectively uh you know and and you know obviously if you if you sack him and pay him off you're going to be probably paying him quite a bit i'd suspect um and hopefully that that allows a bit more patience but it, it's the big unknown because it'd be breaking Chelsea tradition not just Chelsea tradition in Abramovich. you know in our history we have not had coaches for very long. Um, It just seems to be a thing about Chelsea and our DNA that um, no matter who is is owning the club, coaches don't last that long for some reason.
0: So if you were going to cross to the other side, if you were going to. I think you're back. I think I lost you. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, you're back. It was my my connection is all over the place this evening. Typical. It's final day. And when you want to record something, it decides to start. No, playing worries, up. no worries. As I was saying, if you were to sneak over to the other side, if you were to pop into the Arsenal dressing room ahead of kickoff and, and give the Arsenal some advice on how to handle this Chelsea side, who would you say are the players to watch out for? What would you say are the elements of this Chelsea side that could potentially be match winning and 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 how should arsenal try to stifle graham potter's side
1: i think chelsea um can be very good actually when they're pressed high by a team um you know i think you saw that against salzburg um there is varied ways i mean if chelsea on a good day chelsea i think can play around a press and that is something i'd be wary of from an arsenal perspective particularly in transition you know if if Potter decides to start with, say Raheem Sterling, Christian Pulisic tries to start with some speed in behind Arsenal's uh, backline. I think that'd be a a problematic area for Arsenal to try and counteract, and and particularly Mason Mount. I I still think is is one player that is still kind of underrated, even by sections of the Chelsea supporters, um, especially online for some reason. He picks up pockets of space that I think opposition teams and opposition defenders hate. Um, He just seems to have a knack to find areas where he can kind of connect midfield and defense. Um, And when he does that, and if you allow him to do that, it can be, it can spell danger because he can create chances. He can really get the team ticking. He's obviously got the energy off the ball to keep Chelsea moving. Um, And as well, I, I will say that it depends, you know, he, he's been very up and down since he's come to Chelsea, but I, I would say Raheem Sterling, Um, he has still scored five goals this year, which um, is not awful. Uh, I think Chelsea fans would be expecting more, but I I still think that Raheem Sterling has has got the quality and experience to maybe rise in a game like this. And again, in transition, if he has, like any attacker, if he has space to run into, which Chelsea don't usually get in in a lot of games, that can spell danger. Um, And Aubameyang too, obviously, we know can be a a killer inside the six-yard box.
0: There's been a lot of debate among the Arsenal fans about sort of how we should kind of treat Aubameyang after kind of what happened. Listen, he did wonderful things for the football club. There's no question about that, but towards the end, all of that was soured based on how things went down. And, and I can understand why there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there that feel badly towards him. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike him in the way that I disliked Robin Van Persie, for example, when he joined Manchester United. I, There's not that animosity from me on a personal level, but there is a disappointment from me with the way that he kind of disrespected the football club and kind of let us down towards the end after we showed such faith in him and and gave him a contract that was crazy and probably way above what he should have ever been on. Um, You know, £350,000 a week was the rumoured amount of money, which was absolutely nuts. he, He was good, but the club hamstrung itself in a bid to do that what have you kind of made of his time at Chelsea so far? And and I look at him and I see someone that kind of strolls around and, you know, doesn't look, doesn't, and it's not personal to Chelsea, just doesn't look as though he's quite at it anymore. And as, as though he cares as much mm. anymore, what have you made of his early days at Navarro Bridge?
1: I think he started well, you know, he scored an important goal against Crystal Palace, a really good instinctive finish, um, scored in both games against AC Milan really good finishes good positioning inside the box uh but off the ball obviously he doesn't offer what say Kai Havertz can offer in that role I'd even say you know Amanda Breuer who's you know come back to Chelsea this year is as it looked quite exciting off the bench uh, and when he's got some starts and, and that is a problem right if you don't have forwards that press in the modern game particularly against elite opposition you can be found out uh he weirdly played off the left against Zagreb which um you know, gave us some problems going back the other way. Uh, and I don't suspect Potter will do that on Sunday. I'm, I might be wrong. Um, It's been slightly better than I expected, Um, but that's probably because of the low standards of Chelsea strikers in recent years, uh, in all honesty. Um, you know, my expectations with him, I, I had a lot of caution when Chelsea signed him, uh, just in terms of the longevity, the age, the wages we'd be paying him. Um, but If he's serviceable in the sense that he scores, I don't know, reaches just over 10 goals this season, you know, shares them out with, say, Kai Havertz and, you know, Breuer's coming through and there's the idea of Chelsea trying to sign uh, Christopher and Nkunku for Leipzig as well. He's not going to be the future of Chelsea and he's not, you know, always the present of Chelsea as well. So it's not like we're relying all of our sort of uh, and sort of putting all of our hopes on Aubameyang. So he's, you know, I I have to see a bit more of him. I'm not going to write him off yet. uh, Like with any of the signings, it's been a chaotic start to the year. He's had chaotic personal, you know, you know, sort of incident before he arrived at Chelsea, you know, the sort of halted his start here. Um, I'd say I'm a little bit more positive than some other Chelsea fans about him, but I could definitely find critics, criticisms in sort of and, and flaws in his game so far that may hurt Chelsea in certain situations.
0: It's interesting because I was talking to Ellie Collins earlier today on the 90 Min show um, about that little sort of VT that he made for BT Sport where he said, you know, Arsenal, it's not personal. I'm back and I'm blue. Or whilst having a tattoo on his arm <laughs> of him in an Arsenal shirt. It, Ellie was quite, she found it quite weird. And quite quite strange that he did that. I mean, there are Arsenal fans out there that are furious about it. I'm not too fussed. I just feel it's a little bit hollow. And it's clearly just a a sort of PR play to try and get that engagement in the way that they've succeeded to do. But what do you make of stuff like that? Because Aubameyang is always Mm. involved in stuff like that. There's always controversy around him. I was in Arteta's press conference last night. And the subject of that video that was doing the rounds of him in a hotel room telling people that Arteta can't deal with big characters was raised in the press conference and Mikel Arteta refused to comment on it. He said no comment. Yeah, But this kind of stuff, it follows Aubameyang around. And mm. I don't know. Do you see that as a bit of a distraction? What did you make of that little VT? And, and do you feel like that could be a distraction for Chelsea moving forward as they look to rebuild under a new coach?
1: I mean, I find a lot of that BT sport stuff quite cringy, to be honest. Uh, and that's just a general point. They try and get a lot of the players on there. If you if you watch a lot of the VTs, like I know this one has sort of caught fire because Chelsea, Arsenal, social media stuff. Of course, the narrative around Aubameyang. But if you watch a lot of their VTs, they get players to say stuff like this in front of camera for their sort of the build up of their game. Um, and you know, it, I I don't pay too much attention to be honest and I I think people getting upset about it you know it's my concern with Aubameyang was that it's that it's the discipline side of him right it's that thing that hurt you know his case at at, um, Arsenal with Arteta that kind of led to his exit and it's particularly a young dressing room like Chelsea where we've got certain players particularly players like you know Mason Mount's still a youngish player, even though he's very experienced. You know, Reese James, too. You know, these are players who've, who've won Champions League titles for Chelsea. Like, they, there's, they have played in big games. and But particularly maybe even younger players like Amanda Brewer coming through. Um, and, it, you know, you could look at Ingo, what great experience for a player to kind of learn off of Bamian, who's been a great finisher throughout his career. Uh, but I just, you know, I don't like the idea of him turning up late to a big game. I don't like the idea of any player doing that. Um, I don't care who it is. You know, um, we've seen it with Ronaldo recently. Like, I just, I, you know, is if you're one of the senior members in that dressing room, you have to lead by example. And I know it sounds like a very sort of old school football man thing to say, but I just, I, you know, I, I want it Aubameyang to to do that at Chelsea. I want him like Olivier Giroud was. Olivier Giroud was a was a really good servant for Chelsea. He was one of our better signings in recent years because he arrived, he added experience, he wasn't always perfect, but he scored big goals. And I think he was clearly a popular figure amongst the dressing room and I think helped younger players around him. If Aubameyang can offer that for the last few years of his career, I think most Chelsea fans would be happy. No one's expecting him at Chelsea, I think, to light the world on fire and, and be the next Diego Costa um, few can be, that's, that's not the expectation. Um, but I agree with you, there are concerns and we'll have to see how the season plays out right, you know, um, because it, this is a guy who has had uh, discipline problems. I know Tuchel sort of shrugged it off and laughed about it, but Tuchel's not there anymore. Uh, so we'll see how that goes with Potter in, in the coming uh, weeks and months.
0: Just final question. You mentioned that, you know, Thomas Tuchel sort of laughed it off. Those two had a re, uh, a previous relationship, which obviously played a big part, you feel, in that transfer. I mean, I don't think that transfer happens if Thomas Tuchel is, no. is not there um, and, and and you agree. Would Graham Potter have signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? Had he been in charge in the summer, in your opinion?
1: I, I don't, I'm don't. i not trying to dodge questions, ha- like, the question. It's just like the difficult thing to answer about this, Harry, is that like I've not seen a Graham Potter Chelsea transfer window yet. So it's very hard for me to gauge what, under this new regime as well, that are bringing in people recruitment wise, what is going to be the profile of player Chelsea are looking for? We went for kind of a lot of experienced players in the summer, Koulibaly, Raheem Sterling, um, and of course, Abamyang to top it off. I have to see that over a long term to kind of gauge yeah. what he values in a player uh, because he's working at a different level now, isn't he? You know, And, and he has the the resources now at Chelsea to buy players like Abamyang of that profile. I, my instinct tells me no. My instinct tells me that he'd want a younger player who's probably a bit more flexible, who's coming into his prime. And probably the club aligns with that vision currently, um, given some of the business we're trying to do at the moment with players like Nkunku, right? You know, you're, you're hoping to buy the next big thing. You're hoping to buy younger players like Karni Chukomeka, who we invested in over the summer. So um, no, I'd say no at the moment. But obviously that's that's a hard thing to ask um, and, and answer about because it until we have more evidence with graham potter at chelsea uh he may have done you know took i th- just quickly i think took did it because it was kind of for me it felt like a self-preservation signing it was like i need to improve this attack so i'm going to rely on a person who's worked for me before it felt like a classic sort of i'm kind of under a bit of pressure here more than we knew at the time at chelsea with the new ownership um so i need to go on what works now yeah so he went back to the world with a player who who he connected with at dortmund uh you know, is there a comparison for Potter there? I'm not sure.
0: How are you feeling about the game on Sunday?
1: I'm nervous by it. You know, I, I, I'm i not sure if Chelsea are ready for the test. I, I have to be honest. I think, you know, the right side of our defence is a massive concern for me. It really is, particularly coming up against a, a, a wide player like Martinelli, who I spoke about earlier, uh, that really impresses me. Um, central midfield is always such a, a dangerous area for Chelsea because it's just, it's it's been a, a big problem, particularly when we've not had N'Golo Kante fit um and just the feeling that there needs to be a revamp in that area Jorginho hasn't had a good season despite scoring a couple penalties um and it's hard to know the setup because you know we're losing players we are limping towards the finish line in terms of the world cup we need the world cup really because the the injury list is growing by the week at the moment Uh, and i think it will actually help potter in a sense to get away from that so i'm there's always a chance i think chelsea could win i mean if i look at the two big games we've had at stanford bridge this season uh we had really good performance against Spurs. We we're unlucky to not win that game.
0: Not a great. You were robbed. You were, you were robbed that day.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, against Man United it was a crap game. I think both teams played poorly, and I think we got the result we kind of deserved. But we were so close to winning both games. Um, so it's 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 hard for me to feel. Uh, I'd be lying if I say I feel overly confident about things. It's not like there's been no positive signs, and I'm sort of downbeat about things. I think you'd find more pessimistic Chelsea fans going into this game. Uh, But there certainly is reasons to be concerned. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, Dan, thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, Let people know how they can follow you, how they can keep across your work, uh, where to find you.
1: No worries. Thanks again, Harry. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Son of Chelsea. That's probably the best place to find uh, as well. A lot of my written work for football.london where uh, I report on Chelsea and write about the club on a a regular basis. My YouTube channel, uh, Son of Chelsea, uh, not only regular videos about the club, but also uh, now going to be on on podcasts as well uh, through the 90 Min Podcast Network. So you can listen to it as well. So uh, yeah, I'd still say at Son of Chelsea, Twitter is kind of the hub of my content. It's probably the best place to go and hopefully don't give me too much abuse. (laughs)
0: You won't get it from our people, I promise you. Uh, Dan, thank you so, so much, mate. Always a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll speak soon. Cheers. All the best, Harry. That is the brilliant Dan Childs from the Son of Chelsea uh, YouTube channel and podcast. Also a writer over at football.london. Very kindly joining me uh, to look ahead to Sunday's game. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys uh, a few words on the game last night against FC Zurich. I got home at a ridiculously stupid late time. And so I didn't do the podcast last night. I wanted to do it this morning, actually. uh, Friday morning, that is. And uh, and the day just got away from me. I've been really, really busy. So I do apologize for that. But I felt that having sort of missed that really early morning slot, that we could probably combine it into this one because it wasn't a great game, was it? It wasn't a great performance. Arsenal getting over the line just about, but securing top spot in the group. And that's ultimately uh, what matters most. Now, a couple of points I just wanted to pick up on from yesterday's game. I wanted to talk a little bit about Kieran Tierney's performance because, of course, he's been the subject of much debate recently. He's been somebody that you know we've talked an awful lot about. Does he play uh, at left back in the Premier League this Sunday, does Zinchenko come straight back into the side for the trip to Stanford Bridge? There's so much to kind of unpack. I'm not going to go through my entire lineup because my lineup, with the exception of one position, is, is obvious. It picks itself. I'm going with Ramsdale in goal. I'm going with White at right back, Saliba, Gabriel. My only position where I'm a little bit unsure as to what Mikel Arteta is going to do is at left back. You know, does Tierney continue? I don't think you can start Zinchenko in a game like this, just out of nowhere, having been out for as long as he has. He's been out for a good few weeks now. And so for me, I'd probably go with Kieran Tierney from the start, knowing that Zinchenko can come off the bench. I think the plan was probably yesterday to give Zinchenko some time and some minutes in order to kind of build up that match fitness ahead of this one. But obviously then the injury sustained by Takahiro Tomiyasu meant that Mikel Arteta had to turn to Cedric Suarez instead. And the injury to Tomiyasu, it didn't look good, guys. Um, You know, I don't know the full extent of it. You know, I'm sure we're going to hear something in the coming days, something to give us a bit of an indication on that. But it didn't look good. And the kind of talk in the press room last night at Emirates Stadium was that, you know, this could be a muscular problem that keeps him out for a number of weeks, which could dent his hopes of playing at the World Cup as well, which would be a real shame for Takehiro Tomiyasu. But just the way he picked himself up off the ground, the way he went down to ground in the first place, the way he walked off the side of the pitch and, and just looking at his face as he came across us, that was a man that looked like he was he was in trouble. And, and you know, I really feel sorry for him. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's Tierney at left back. You don't throw Zinchenko back in, in a game of this magnitude. He can play later on in the day. Um, but as I say, he's been out for a while, and and so you know th- th- there's got to be question marks around how match fit he actually is in the midfield. Jacques Apate Odegaard picks itself for me, and the front three picks itself too: Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka. So I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time talking about the team, but I did want to talk just a little bit about Sambi Lekonga, uh last night because Mikel Arteta has kind of hinted in the build up in recent weeks, at least that Lekonga's position wasn't the one that necessarily he thinks he's best in, i.e. he's been playing in that uh, deep line midfield role in the Thomas Partey role to deal with the fact that Partey has needed breaks, has needed a rest, and that Thomas, I beg your pardon, that Mohamed Elneny has obviously been injured for a while. Elneny has recovered very quickly. Um, We were told that he made the recovery in eight weeks when the club had, you know, accounted for 12 weeks. So a very quick, strong recovery from the Egyptian. And last night gave Sambi Lekonga an opportunity to play in that slightly more advanced role where many people feel he's he's better and, and somewhere closer to his best, myself included. I asked Mikel Arteta, you might have seen the video going round of the press conference last night. I asked Mikel Arteta, do you think that Sambi Lekonga took the chance that he was given to play in that slightly more advanced midfield role, and he said, "Yeah, he he took the chance, but then alluded to the fact that actually the plan that Arsenal had for Sambi Lokonga when they signed him is probably different to the one that they have now. That's changed. That's adapted based on what they saw from him in pre-season and where they think his future lays. But look, it's difficult to judge players on one game in isolation, and it's difficult. I accept this." to judge some of the fringe players when they're not playing in and among top players. So, you know, put him in midfield with Odegaard and Partey and you probably get a different Sambi Lekonga to the one that plays with Fabio Vieira and Mohamed Elneny. And I'm well aware of that and I'm really conscious of that. So please do not take this as though I am writing off Sambi Lekonga or suggesting that the club should move him on part ways with him. But, He didn't do anything for me last night. He didn't do anywhere near enough. You know, there are things that will be impacted by the players you have around you, but there are things on an individual level that you can do better and you can do to the best of your ability. He still looks a little bit casual in there for me. He still looks as though he's a little bit slow in reacting. He still leaves too many gaps and too many holes in behind him. Even with the added security behind him, he just doesn't fill me with any confidence at the moment. I also think that his confidence as a player is probably very low at the moment, given the criticism that he's had, Um, given the lack of game time. You know, he will feel that he deserves to play more. He will feel that he needs more chances and needs more opportunities. But with every passing week now, I look at Sambi Lekonga and I just think, you know, yes, it's difficult. Yes, the situation isn't ideal, but you're not doing enough. Like, you're not banging Mikel Arteta's door down. You're not there pushing him forcing him to think twice. You're not there sort of snapping away at the heels of Thomas Partey or Granit Xhaka or Martin Odegaard, if indeed you believe that he should play in that slightly more advanced role. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to make that point because, and the reason I asked Mikel that question was because I had tweeted pre-game saying, I can't wait to watch Lokonga in this more advanced role. You know, I can't wait to see how he's going to fit against a relatively weak opposition. It was a chance for him to shine. It was a chance for him to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, and he just didn't do it. Neither did Reese Nelson, really. He didn't follow up, in my opinion, after those uh, two goals against Nottingham Forest. You know, did Eddie Nketiah do enough? Did Fabio Vieira do enough? There's just a, a bit of a worry for me about some of these fringe players that, Although we know they're not at the same level as the starters, the Premier League starters, that is. Although we expect a bit of a drop off and we expect that when you make seven changes, that's going to affect the cohesion within the team. But I just look at so many of them and I just, I I don't, I don't look at them and think you're chomping at the bit. You know, you are right there or thereabouts. You're right on the cusp of breaking in. You're in a position whereby you are playing so well when those opportunities do come along. That if there was an injury, if there was any doubt, any concern over any player, I would throw you in and I'd do it with confidence. I just don't see that in any of them. And it scares me. It really, really does. And that's why I I can't commit to saying that Arsenal are going to be right at the top of the Premier League come the end of the season. I I feel like a drop off is just around the corner and our ability to sustain that position is going to be, you know, determined by luck more than anything else. Anyway, let's take um, let's take a few of your thoughts and questions from the chat box. I'd love to hear from you guys. But in the meantime, while I'm just waiting for you to do that, if you could please leave a like on the video, uh, that would be very, very much appreciated. If you could subscribe, of course, to the channel as well, uh, I'd be very, very grateful as we continue our build-up to that big game against Chelsea. My prediction is a draw, uh, a low-scoring draw between Arsenal and Chelsea at the weekend. Um, I was in Mikel Arteta's press conference, as I say, last night, which was immediately followed by the pre-Chelsea press conference. There's a few bits that are going to come out tomorrow because they were embargoed. But, you know, the general um, chat around the Chelsea game was was focused on Aubameyang. There's a, there was a lot of Aubameyang questions. And Mikel Arteta, you know, he answered some of them, but he, j- he just didn't want to um, go into it in too much detail. You know, he didn't slag him off. He wasn't negative about him. He complimented him uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, the general vibe from Mikel Arteta is like the the Aubameyang thing is done. Stop talking about it. But obviously it's the big story going into this game. It's been labelled by some as the Aubameyang derby. And why wouldn't it be? It's all about the clicks. But anyway, um, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts. Just quickly on Kieran Tierney as well. Um, Was he great last night? I've seen some people saying that he was phenomenal. I didn't think he was great throughout. I thought he played well in the first half. I thought defensively in the second half, he struggled a little bit at times. Everything that Zurich did well came down that side, didn't it? And caused us problems. So I don't think his performance was flawless. The goal was superb. Really enjoyed that. And that would have done him the world of good because I'm sure his confidence has taken a little bit of a hit. And just by the reaction of the group when he scored, you could tell that he's a very, very popular man within the ranks. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, M says, um, I would rather ship out Sambi and allocate his playing time to Patino next season. Of course, Charlie Patino's playing really well uh, on his loan spell at Blackpool. Yet, yeah, look, there's no reason um, why if Patino comes back, he can't leapfrog a Sambi Lukonga, who, as far as I'm concerned, is is playing under the level that I expect right now. When we signed him, he was a big prospect. I'd seen... Quite a bit of him. I've done a lot of analysis and studying on La Conga when those links first came uh, to prominence. But um, yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. Uh, you know, let's um, let's see how that goes and how that develops over time. Uh, big thank you to Mohammed for your very kind words. Uh, he says, "Awesome channel, love the content, keep up the good work." Thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, Justin says, Samby leaves in the summer. No harm, no foul. We'll probably make a handsome profit on him and we can move on. I don't know that we will make a profit. I think, what do we pay? 16, 15, 16 million pounds? I don't know that if I was another club looking on that, I'd be willing to pay that. I think I'd want to try and have a crack at him for about eight to 10 million pounds. That's that's how I would look at it. That's where I see his value. Right now, uh, Alex says, "Do you think Chelsea will play with three centre halves or play four at the back?" It's interesting because without fullbacks, without Reece James, without Ben Chilwell, I expect them to play a three and then use a couple of midfielders in those wide areas and ask them to do that bit of defensive work as well. Can't see them going to a back four without fullbacks. That's that's just obviously uh, my opinion, of course. Uh, Harvey says, "I don't even care." About Aubameyang, let him do his thing and we do ours. Um, HFN says, why would fellow Arsenal fans settle for a draw? Literally the perfect time to play Chelsea, except for the fact that we have less recovery time. Yeah, look, there is there is a part of me that feels confident because, of course, you know the team that went there and won last season was worse than the one we have today. But you can't take these games for granted. Can't go in there expecting to win. I think you have to go there, and this is going to sound like one of those old boring football cliches. You have to earn the right to play, and then you have to earn the right to win. Danny says, Why do our fringe players look as though they lack hunger? Arteta likes a settled 11. Why wouldn't you work as hard as you possibly can when given the chance? I have faith in these guys, but it's frustrating. I think I completely agree with you. I look at a lot of them, and I think you know, they, they're obviously talented, but I just feel like they're not going that extra mile, that they're not really pushing hard enough, that they're just kind of happy to be where they are. They're happy in their roles. And there are players in that squad that are like that, right? Rob Holding is like that. Rob Holding is happy to be a fringe player. He's happy to be that guy on the peripheries. If he wasn't, he'd have gone by now. Mohamed El Neni's another one. And that kind of mindset, I think it's dangerous for, for young players. I think people like, you know, Mohamed Olneny and Rob Holding, they're at different stages of their careers. I, You know, I don't see them going much further and, and people will look at Arsenal and say, well, I'd rather be at a bigger club than, than at a smaller club. That's how some people look at it. Others will say, I'd rather go to a smaller club and play regularly. Clearly with the two I've referenced, that's not the case, but... Yeah, you do look at some of the fringe players and think that they maybe lack a bit of hunger, just that little bit of bite that you need to really kind of force the issue. And and if they don't do that, then Mikel Arteta, who probably isn't going to stray away from that 11 anytime soon, or at least that settled 10 that he's got, you know, you, you just don't see how they move forward. And it's it's not nice to see. Uh, Guna Works says, if an offer of 40 million came in for Kieran this summer, would you take it? Um no, I, I probably wouldn't, right? Unless he wanted to go, unless he expressed a desire to leave because of the fact that he's not playing week in, week out. I don't think I would. I think we need depth. We're building depth. He and Zinchenko are the two left back options that we have. Tommy Asu has rotated into that position because, of course, Ben White filled his boots from the start of the season and continues to do so at right back so brilliantly. But I don't want to weaken the squad. I want us to move forward. I want us to progress. So if, if this offer came in and there was no indication from Kieran Tierney that that was his preference, then no, I'd, I'd probably keep a hold of him. But if the player's pushing for the move, then 40 million would certainly do it for me, given what we paid for him and also the injury issues that continue to follow Kieran Tierney around. And so the risk of him missing a long period of time, in my opinion, does significant damage to his value. And, and that's kind of the way I see it. Look, guys, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you so, so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the Arsenal-Chelsea chat at the start with Daniel Childs of London and the Son of Chelsea podcast. My thanks to him. My thanks to every single one of you guys for tuning in and joining me. Uh, no episode tomorrow, but we will be back on Sunday evening with some post-match reaction. I'll try and bring you some reaction from Stamford Bridge as well, but the post-match show, the full review show will be live on Sunday evening. Time, TBC. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, everybody. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.